0: Before we comment on the gospel, I wanted to mention, if you were listening to that first reading, there was something quite amazing in that first reading. Last week on our EWTN show, which is on Wednesdays called Living Divine Mercy, we did a show on angels, and angels are what we call a dogma of the Catholic faith meaning we have to believe it. Why? Because it's revealed by God directly in Scripture. And in fact, the Scriptures even talk about the, in some sense, the choirs of angels. We talk about hierarchy of angels. And the highest of all are the seraphim. The seraphim angel, the highest of all the angels, the top of the nine choirs, followed by cherubim and and the rest, But their role in their existence is one thing. They only exist for one purpose, and that is to eternally gaze upon the face of God. Can you imagine? Well, Father, I would get bored. No, you won't get bored. I can promise you. Now, that's their role, to gaze upon the face of God. Only in three times in human history are we aware of when the seraphim turned their face away from God, not in a disobedient way, this is not the fall, but in a way with the permission of God to assist man. Only three times. The first we just read, so hopefully you were paying attention to it. In the first reading that Sean just read, Isaiah basically had a seraphim angel come to him with a lit coal to touch his lips to purify his lips so that he would be able to speak the word of god in a pure way the second time that we know of a seraphim angel turning to help man and away from the face of god again in a way of permission not a disobedient way was saint francis just prior to him receiving the stigmata and the third you may have heard me say before what was the third time saint faustina when she was ill and could not attend mass she wanted to go to mass and she was not allowed by her superior she was so ill So she asked God to receive Holy Communion and he sent her a Seraphim angel and the Seraphim angel brought her Holy Communion. Now what's fascinating is St. Faustina, before receiving Holy Communion, asked the Seraphim angel to hear her confession. And the Seraphim angel said, I cannot. No spirit in the universe has that power. Wow. Only the priest. Only the priest. But in order for us to receive this grace, we must confess. We must come to God in contrition, sorrow, ask for forgiveness. Lord, have mercy on me, a poor sinner. The Jesus prayer is one of the most powerful prayers. It's such a short prayer that we've forgotten. Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a poor sinner. Now, why do I say all this? Because this is basically what Peter says. Peter makes a confession here. He says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Have mercy on me, a poor sinner. This is really the first proclamation of the Jesus prayer. It's beautiful. And actually, do you know that the right, you know when you go into confession if you haven't been for a while, you may have the priest and make your act of contrition, you get a little bit scared and you're like, "Ah oh, gee, I forgot it, Father." Don't worry, the priest will lead you. But even if you have forgotten your act of contrition, which we all know is, oh, my God, I am heartily sorry for having offended thee, and I detest all my sins because of your just punishment, you know that prayer mainly or mostly or maybe not, that's okay. The priest will lead you. But you know what the rite of the church actually says? The church actually says when you finish your confession, it doesn't even give that longer act of contrition in the rite. You know what it says? Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a poor sinner. That's it. So if you go to confession, all you have to do is make this proclamation of Peter. The Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a poor sinner. That's your act of contrition. If you don't have time every day, you're running around, you're real busy, just take a couple times, examine your conscience, and right then and there, if you're on the bus or in the car or in the shower, just simply say, Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a poor sinner. This is powerful, a powerful prayer. Now, what's going on in this gospel? Okay, you know what's interesting is right before this, Right before this passage, Jesus had miraculously healed Peter's mother-in-law. That was Luke 4. We're now in Luke 5, I think. Yes, Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Right before this, Jesus just healed Peter's mother-in-law, and Peter wasn't impressed. (laughs) Didn't impress Peter. But now Jesus brings him a ton of fish to catch. Now he's totally impressed because he was a fisherman he was a fisherman. You know, it's interesting. Now Peter's worshiping Jesus. You know, it's funny because Jesus will meet us where we're at. You always hear me say, Brother Mark and I were fishers of fish before we came to the Marians. Now we pray to God to be able to be fishers of men. You know, um, God allows that. He calls us. He meets us where we're at. It's funny because sports or athletics or your personal hobbies, God will work with. You've heard me say a couple of times, Father Anthony and I were wrestlers. You can tell by looking at us, we weren't basketball players. Father Anthony and I were wrestlers. I think that's a lot because God can now, that helps us to wrestle when spiritual warfare meets us in the face, to to wrestle with the the challenges of life. Like Tobit was it? Tobit in the uh, in the Old Testament. Raphael. Uh, did you know that Tyler? You, you've heard Tyler here recently. One of our newly ordained priests. God bless him. He's a great priest. He was a baseball player, good one. He played in college. And I think that helps because that allows him to be able to hit those curveballs that God throws, or doesn't God doesn't throw them that life throws us that God allows. Tyler knows how to hit a curveball. It's going to make him a great player in the priesthood of life. You know, Father Kaz was a college soccer player. Did you know that? He was an outstanding soccer player. Probably could have made the Polish national team. He played college soccer here in Washington, or here in the United States in Washington, D.C. I think that's because in soccer, you have to build a plan to be able to accomplish your goal, to get the ball into the goal. Father Kaz is our provincial. He devises the plan for us to be able to get the ball into the goal, to be able to get souls to Christ. And this is a beautiful thing, how God meets us where we're at. Now, if we don't, come to him he'll even come to us he'll literally get in your boat what is Jesus doing here Jesus basically inserted himself directly into Peter's life figuratively and literally he literally got into his boat that's interesting isn't it he directly inserted himself into Peter's life via his boat that was Peter's life I think this is fascinating How will you react when God inserts himself into your life? Maybe you are somebody who thinks, well, I'm a Catholic, but I'm pro-choice. And all of a sudden, God inserts himself right into your life and gives you an unwanted pregnancy. How will we react? How will we react? A good place to teach is where you relate to. So, for instance, here, Jesus now is in a lake. So his church will be the lake now on a boat. His pulpit is Peter's sailboat or fishing boat. You know, it's funny because um, besides teaching and miracles, Jesus' ministry now centers on making disciples, right? Right? He wants others to do his work. This is the Catholic view. This is where non-Catholic Christians, I think, no pun intended, miss the boat. Because God wants to work through us. In non-Catholic views, it's only about me and Jesus, and Jesus does everything. I don't do anything. Jesus does everything. That's not what Jesus is telling us here. Jesus is saying, I want you to do something. I do. Jesus uses us in redemption. Well, Jesus did it all. Yes, he did it all, but he wants to use us there with him. That's why we share in the cross. On the comments, there is a a series of, one gentleman wrote about six comments saying that we Catholics are so warped because we're saying that, that God allows suffering. Well, who could deny that? All we have to do is look out in our world today. But why? Why? Because God allows it for us to share in his cross. He's not going to allow us to suffer forever. This is just temporary. It'll all be gone and we will be eternally in heaven. That's the resurrection. You know, Jesus started with three men. Simon, James, and John. John. Then it went to 12, then hundreds, then thousands, then millions. This is why we have the saints. They bring us to Jesus. Yes, Jesus is the only way to the Father. But how was Peter brought to Jesus? There are many ways to Jesus. Peter was brought to Jesus by Andrew, his brother. I was brought to Jesus by my family. Hopefully you were, whoever. Now Jesus takes us to the Father. You know, a quote from St. Therese is, Jesus has so incomprehensible a love for us that he wills that we have a share with him in the salvation of souls. He wills to do nothing without us. The creator of the universe awaits the prayer of a poor little soul to save other souls redeemed like it at the price of his blood. Hmm, fascinating trust is the key though that allows peter to become a disciple the whole diary is about trust you know we can work we can even work hard in a long time with no results like peter did fished all night but didn't catch anything until we allow god to lead us when jesus can direct our work it makes all the difference Notice the change in Peter. This is where I want to finish. Notice the change in Peter as he's transformed into a disciple. Notice when I read this gospel, I emphasized the first time Peter addressed Jesus, he said, Master. Simply, Simon said in reply, Master, we have worked hard all night and have caught nothing. Master means leader or boss. All right. So with this title, Peter is basically showing, hey, okay, Lord, I'll take orders from you. I'm sorry, master, I'll take orders from you. I'll follow your direction. That's kind of many Catholics. All right, I'll do what I'm told, but that's it. No heart, no dedication, no trust. Then Jesus does the miracle, showing he has great authority Peter now knew that Jesus was more than just an ordinary man. And then what does Peter say? Simon Peter fell to his knees and said, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. now it goes from master, all right, I'll do whatever you say, boss, to Lord. Lord is the word that Peter would choose in honor of the Christ, the Messiah. But not yet God. Later, we read, Peter, who do you say I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. So he goes from master to Lord to God. That's transformation. That's what we see. So Peter basically represents us in our walk of life. Jesus' miracle had a powerful effect on him, and it should on us, too. Um, Peter became aware of his sinful nature. Lord, depart from me. I'm a poor sinner. You know, this is what will happen for all of us who don't be like Peter, who don't acknowledge our sinfulness. It's called the illumination of conscience. The many, many saints talk about this. Many, many saints talk about that there will come a time where God will illumine our conscience. I think the world personally is so far gone. It's so far mired in sin. It's so ingrained in itself, and has pushed God so far out personally, this is just my belief, I feel it's too far gone, that the only way it's going to be able to turn around is if God does insert himself into everyone's boat by an illumination of conscience. In illumination of consciousness, we will see ourselves the way God sees us. And then we will see we are sinful. Not this stuff, well, I don't have any sins. Uh-uh. We will see it. We will see ourselves as God sees us. He felt, this is interesting, Peter felt that he could not live with such a perfect person as Jesus. That's why he's, depart from me. His humility and awareness of his sin made him repent, but notice it didn't disqualify him from service. Jesus didn't say, you know what, Peter, you don't measure up. See ya. All right, let me try John now. God didn't say that. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus does not call those who think that they can help God. He calls those who can do the work of God. God does not need or want servants who think they are doing God a favor. That is the first thing that we should never do. Jesus calls those who know they need to be humbled and before God that they can't do anything without him. Every day in our meetings at work, we always give thanks to God because we know none of this ministry is possible without him. Finally, note, That the net is broken, but the fish are not lost. It's kind of interesting. The Lord will preserve his faithful ones, even in the midst of tearing nets like schisms, heresies, or scandals. He will allow us to stay where we failed without Christ, with Christ we will stay. God expects of us greater things than we do by ourselves. But we first have to cooperate, cooperate cooperate well with his works, and then we can do far more than we could do on our own. This was the first thing that Peter recognized. He had toiled all night and caught nothing. Now he's the fisher of men. We should take that lesson to heart because we could do all the great things in the world if we don't have Christ with us. You know, one of the most common expressions I hear is, well, he doesn't go to church, he doesn't believe in God, he doesn't need the sacraments, but he's a good person. He does good things. Without God, those things don't have any merit. So pray for those people. Pray. Don't condemn pray that they will allow Jesus into their boat.
1: Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you